Part Two, Chapter Four of the Swoop. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Kristen Hughes. The Swoop, or How Clarence Saved England, by P. G. Woodhouse. Part Two, Chapter Four. Clarence hears important news. It was Clarence's custom to leave the office of his newspaper at one o'clock each day, and lunch at a neighboring aerated bread shop. He did this on the day following the first appearance of the two generals at their respective halls. He had brought an early edition of the paper with him, and in the intervals of dealing with his glass of milk and scone and butter, he read the report of the performances. Both, it seemed, had met with flattering receptions, though they had appeared nervous. The Russian general especially, whose style, said the critic, was somewhat reminiscent of Mr. T. E. Dunville, had made himself a great favorite with the gallery. The report concluded by calling attention once more to the fact that the salaries paid to the two, eight hundred and seventy-five pounds a week each, established a record in music-hall history on this side of the Atlantic. Clarence had just finished this when there came to his ear the faint note of a tarantula singing to its young. He looked up. Opposite him at the next table was seated a youth of fifteen, of slightly grubby aspect. He was eyeing Clarence closely. Clarence took off his spectacles, polished them, and replaced them on his nose. As he did so the thin gruffle of the tarantula sounded once more. Without changing his expression, Clarence cautiously uttered the deep snarl of a sand-eel, surprised while bathing. It was sufficient. The other rose to his feet, holding his right hand on a line with his shoulder, palm to the front, thumb resting on the nail of the little finger, and the other three fingers upright. Clarence seized his hat by the brim at the back and moved it swiftly twice up and down. The other, hesitating no longer, came over to his table. Pip-pip! he said in an undertone. "'Toodaloo and God save the King,' whispered Clarence. The mystic ceremony which always takes place when two Boy Scouts meet in public was complete. "'Private Biggs of the Eighteenth Tarantula, sir,' said the boy respectfully, for he had recognized Clarence. Clarence inclined his head. "'You may sit, Private Biggs,' he said graciously. "'You have news to impart?' "'News, sir, that may be of vital importance.' Say on. Private Biggs, who had brought his sparkling Lamado and a bath-bun with him from the other table, took a sip of the former and embarked upon his narrative. I am employed, sir, he said, as a sort of junior clerk and office-boy by Mr. Solly Quayne, the music-hall agent. Clarence tapped his brow thoughtfully. Then his face cleared. I remember. It was he who secured the engagements of the generals. The same, sir. Proceed. The other resumed his story. It is my duty to sit in a sort of rabbit hutch in the outer office, take the callers' names, and especially to see that they don't get through to Mr. Quain till he wishes to receive them. That is the most exacting part of my day's work. You wouldn't believe how full of the purest swank some of these pros are. Tell you they've got an appointment as soon as look at you, artful beggars. Clarence nodded sympathetically. This morning an acrobat and society contortionist made such a fuss that in the end I had to take his card into the private office. Mr. Quain was there talking to a gentleman whom I recognized as his brother, Mr. Colquhoun. 
they were engrossed in their conversation, and did not notice me for a moment. With no wish to play the eavesdropper, I could not help but overhear. They were talking about the generals. "'Yes, I know they're press-agented at 875, dear boy,' I heard Mr. Quayne say. "'But between you and me and the doorknob, that isn't what they're getting. The German feller's drawing five hundred of the best, but I could only get four fifty for the Russian. Can't say why. I should have thought, if anything, he'd be the bigger draw. Bit of a comic in his way.' And then he saw me. There was some slight unpleasantness. In fact, I've got the sack.' After it was over, I came away to try and find you. It seemed to me that the information might be of importance. Clarence's eyes gleamed. You have done splendidly, Private. No, Corporal Biggs. Do not regret your lost position. The Society shall find you work. This news you have brought is of the utmost, the most vital importance. Dash it! he cried, unbending in his enthusiasm. We've got him on the hop! If they aren't biting pieces out of each other in the next day or two, I'm jolly well mistaken. He rose, then sat down again. Corporal! No, dash it, Sergeant Biggs! You must have something with me. This is an occasion. The news you have brought me may mean the salvation of England. What would you like? The other saluted joyfully. I think I'll have another sparkling Lamado, thanks awfully, he said. The beverage arrived. They raised their glasses. "'To England,' said Clarence simply. "'To England,' echoed his subordinate. Clarence left the shop with swift strides, and hurried, deep in thought, to the offices of the Encore in Wellington Street. "'Yes?' said the office-boy interrogatively. Clarence gave the scout sequand, the password. The boy's demeanour changed instantly." He saluted with the utmost respect. "'I wish to see the editor,' said Clarence. A short speech, but one that meant salvation for the motherland. End of Part 2 Chapter 4